Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Soundprints for Sunday, June 21, 2020. Well, the convention is almost here, and there are some details that are available in the program that were not available on the registration form. We're going to bring you some of that information right now so you can get ready for convention. We'll be having more information and updates next week when Janet Dickelman, ACB Convention Coordinator, will be back with us to give us last-minute information on tours, exhibits, and much more that will be happening during the week. So how will you know where to listen, what channel to listen to, where your Zoom meeting is going to be held? That information will come to your email when it comes to Zoom platforms, the ACB radio channels and their content each day will be published in the newspaper and also will be read prior to the convention opening each morning on ACB radio. And of course you can always call the information desk number to get those details if you need them. And now let's look at a few of the sessions that are coming up that will be really exciting. We're going to talk about ACB Families, ACB Lions, and the Library User Sessions, mainly because those are the items that Adam and I are very active in, and we want to tell you about some great programming. For ACB Families, there are five sessions. If you would like to register for ACB Families, it's $20, and that will get you into some great door prize drawings with many prizes to be awarded to ACB Family registrants. The first ACB Family Session comes at 4.30 p.m. on Friday, July 3, and is called Historic Hawaii. Travel back to a time before Hawaii was a state, before it was a U.S. territory, before the white man discovered the islands, a virtual journey you won't soon forget, led by the Bishop Museum, the official museum of the islands. On Saturday, July 4, from 5.30 to 7.15 p.m., tune in to the ACB Family Session, The Civil War, The Sultana Disaster. The Civil War was ending. Lee's army had surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse. 1,700 Union soldiers were returning home from southern prison camps on the ill-fated Sultana steamboat on the Mississippi River. The corruption and intrigue leading up to the disaster bespeaks a tale of greed and arrogance unparalleled in maritime history. Amazingly, more Union soldiers died in the Sultana disaster than died outright in the Battle of Shiloh. Includes time for questions. The presenter is J. Andrew White, a plaintiff's attorney from Louisville, Kentucky, who is also an author, lecturer, and researcher on Civil War history and a descendant of soldiers from both sides of the conflict. On Sunday at noon, tune in to the ACB Family's Helen Keller Collection presentation. Helen Keller was an internationally known example of courage and success throughout her life. 
She worked for decades with the American Foundation for the Blind, traveling the world and touching lives wherever she went. AFB's Helen Keller collection contained thousands upon thousands of documents and artifacts related to her life, everything from notes and letters to the desk at which she worked, to gifts from around the world, to presidential awards. The American Printing House for the Blind has acquired that collection, and it's now part of the APH Callahan Museum in Louisville, Kentucky. Michael Hudson, director of the museum, shares insights into Helen's life and glimpses of this incredible collection. On Thursday, July 9, from 4.30 to 5.45 p.m., ACB families and friends in art co-sponsor Legos with Braille and audio. The lessons that can be learned from creating with Legos is limitless. The fun of building trucks and spaceships and castles and forts and robots and so much more is an amazing world for sighted children and adults. Until now, this world has, for the most part, not been available to children and adults who are blind and visually impaired. At age 13, Matthew Schifrin began creating with Legos when a friend created Braille instructions for a Lego set for him. Meet Matthew Schifrin and learn how he is opening the exciting world of Legos to people who are blind through Braille and audio instructions and how you can get in on the fun. Co-sponsored by ACB Families and FIA. Then at 6 p.m. on the 9th, we have Summer Camp Stories. It's summertime, time for sitting around the campfire, telling stories and eating hot dogs and s'mores. Enjoy stories at ACB Family's virtual campfire and discover resources for obtaining accessible books and stories for kids and teens. Jack Fox, well-known talking book narrator, will be our reader for that evening. The American Council of Blind Lions has two programs on Wednesday, July 8, that will be of special interest to those of you who either are lions or who wish to know more about lions. From 4.30 to 5.45 on Wednesday afternoon, join us for lessons in leadership and the work of LCI. Lion Shay Nickel, who was elected to serve as an international director of Lions Clubs International in Milan, Italy in 2019, is a member of the Paducah, Kentucky Lions Club, past president of the Kentucky Lions Eye Foundation, and a justice on the Kentucky Supreme Court. Follow Lion Shea as he travels the path from local club member to international director and learn about the initiatives of Lions Clubs International. It's really an honor to have a current international director with us, and this is the first time in the history of ACB Lions that we have had a current international director speak to us. From 6 to 7.15 p.m., join ACBL for Millie's Place, How Lions Serve the Community. Your local Lions Club may buy glasses or collect used glasses to help those in need, but many local clubs also participate in a wide variety of other service projects. Lions from across the country will share their local club activities and how they, as members who are blind or visually impaired, participate in those activities. Learn how to get involved in a local club, ways to encourage local clubs to support your ACB affiliate or chapter activities, and how ACB Lions provides peer support to help you along the way. All lions, friends of lions, and anyone interested in becoming a lion is welcome to attend this session. And now, 
for sessions sponsored by Library Users of America. On Monday, July 6, join Lua from 1.30 to 2.45 p.m. for updates from Karen Kenninger, Director of the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Karen will answer specific questions about how the NLS projects she described in her general session program that morning will be implemented and will also take questions about other issues of concern to members. At 3 p.m., Lua will host One Book, One ACB. In this session, we discuss Flying Blind, One Man's Journey Out of Darkness by Lou Briganti, B-R-I-G-A-N-T-I. The number is DB97425. You're invited to obtain this book ahead of time and be ready to enjoy a discussion about it on Monday at 3 o'clock with the library users. On Wednesday, July 8, at 1.30 p.m., the library users, Braille Revival League and Friends in Art, will sponsor a program. At 1.30 p.m., you will find extended time with Erin Jones, the talking book narrator from the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, who will be presenting in the general session that morning. Erin will talk more about her life and narrating and will answer questions from those attending. At 2.45 to 4.15 will be Bard and Bard Express Become Better. Representatives from NLS will tell us about changes that are being made in both the Bard and the Bard Express programs, which are used to access books from the Library of Congress National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. This session will be hosted by Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, and Brian Charlson, Watertown, Massachusetts. Be sure to check your program for many more interesting sessions. There's over a hundred of them being sponsored throughout Convention Week by ACB affiliates, committees, and corporations and others. On page two, the ACB resolutions process is part of every convention, but this year it has to be different. Join us on page two as Clark Rackville ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs tells us how the resolution process will differ this year from the past and also from the future and the importance of resolutions in ACB. And then on page three, find out about the plans and activities of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association. Adam Rushville, president of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni, joins me to discuss the 2020 Reunion Memorial Service and Alumni Activities. We hope that you enjoy this week's Sound Prints. Page 2. I'm talking with Clark Rackville, who is the ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and we're going to talk today about resolutions at the upcoming ACB Conference and Conventions. Resolutions are really important to the work of the organization. Sometimes we think about, oh, they're just boring and they're, they don't do a whole lot. They don't say a whole lot. We don't do things with them. But that is not true. Resolutions are very, very important to ACB and to our advocacy work. And we want to talk a little bit today about how we are going to handle resolutions at the upcoming virtual conference and convention and how that differs a little bit from what we have 
done in the past or how we will handle resolutions in the future when we're at an in-person convention. So welcome, Clark. We're really glad to have you with us today on Soundprint. Well, thank you, Carla, and thank you for having me back on Soundprint. Clark, let's talk first. You you are uh, our Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and resolutions can speak to both of those. So tell us why resolutions are important to, to your work and, and to ACB in general. The ACB resolutions that are uh, drafted and voted on by the membership at the annual conference and convention, they help express the, the will of ACB members. And those resolutions, once passed, help to inform the advocacy work that we do. So, for example, in 2019, there was a resolution passed recommending that ACB hold a transportation forum at the 2020 conference. And guess what? The Transportation Committee and Environmental Access Committee are working hard to pull that together. So as folks register for this year's conference and convention at acbconvention.org, you'll see that there's a lot of programming associated with the themes of transportation that are part of that transportation forum. That is a resolution that formed a program within the organization um, there's always, not always every year, the same topics, but there are always resolutions that deal with our advocacy work uh, with other organizations, our position on different topics. Uh, I remember when the CVAA was uh, a big, you know, was coming into Congress and so on. We had resolutions about that. We've had resolutions about education of blind children and students in college, just many, many, many different topics. So let's move to why it is important that we be able to have a resolutions process this year uh, and what that what that process will be and contrast that a little bit with what would have happened if we'd been in Schomburg at a convention in person rather than at a virtual convention. Yeah, so just because we're going virtual, um, the music doesn't stop. The the will of the ACB members uh, still must be heard. Although the ACB Constitution does not allow us to conduct um, virtual business. So no elections, no resolutions, um, no votes from the, the full body in the General Assembly. Uh, the resolutions are still able to be voted on by the board. Um, so there'll be board resolutions and basically as a board motion, right? So mm -hmm. in previous years, when we're in person, the resolutions committee would establish a process. Uh, they would request resolutions to be submitted to them prior to the convention or, and I, I think they would set the deadline, you know, the first or the second day of the convention. And mm -hmm. then throughout the convention, the resolution committees would meet in the, the bowels of the hotel or the convention center and really <laughs> at one in the morning. <laughs> right. Right. You know, when, when there's no other programming going on, right. Uh, that, you know, it's, and it's a very odd time to meet, but at the same time, it allowed them to pull together the parties who drafted the resolution to get a clear understanding of the intent of the resolution and then to work with uh, it, 
either the member, the committee, or the affiliate who submitted the resolution to wordsmith the language and put it in the, the proper resolution format to then be uh, shared with the entire ACB body at the general, general session. Um, all resolutions submitted to ACB um, have the, the right to be read in front of the, the membership during the general session. Um, so the, the resolutions process wants to, to help everyone put their best foot forward and communicate those points clearly and concisely. And in doing so, the Resolutions Commission would also provide a recommendation, whether that's a, a do pass, a do not pass, a referral to a committee, the board, or an affiliate. Um, and in some cases, I've been told no recommendation at all. Yes, that is, that is true. Uh, any Just about anything can happen when it comes to a resolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one so, point we should make too, Clark, I think, is that when we're at an in-person convention, that resolutions committee does, in fact, meet. Uh, <laughs> people are probably saying 1 a.m., impossible. It is not impossible. Uh, the committee often begins at like around 11 p.m., and it can go two or three hours, but those committees are open and people are welcome to attend. And the resolutions committee often has people in attendance who are not part of the committee, people who want to speak to the resolutions uh, or speak against them, whatever. Uh, so it is an open process and a process that members are invited uh, to, to participate in. So this year, we can't have those meetings at 11 p.m. Um, I guess it could uh, on a Zoom line, <laughs> but <laughs> but but there won't be in-person meetings, and there won't be resolutions read on the floor at an in-person meeting. Um, there won't be voting on the floor at an in-person meeting, but there will be parts of that process that'll be available. About a week ago, you sent out an excellent email that outlined the current process. So um, could you review that process with us and help us know uh, what will be happening uh, probably around July 10th as far as the membership is, is concerned? Yes, and thank you for that. So the current Resolution Committee co-chairs are Jill Noble and Gabe Griffith. Um, so folks are able to submit resolutions, whether that's members, affiliates, committees, and submit resolutions for consideration here in 2020. And the easiest way to do that would be to send them to advocacy at acb.org. Uh, if you want, you can email them to Gabe and Jill directly. But once we receive them at advocacy at acb.org, we'll be sure to get them to the committee co-chairs. Resolutions will be accepted through the end of the virtual conference and convention. So Friday, July 10th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Once, and I guess leading up to that deadline, but uh, once they receive all the recommendations and as they receive them, Jill and Gabe and the resolutions committee will conduct the same work that they would have otherwise conducted in the resolution committee meetings at the convention. Um, so they'll work to wordsmith them, get them in the proper format, 
and share them with the, the ACB staff and leadership with the recommendation of the resolutions committee. Um, once the ACB staff has uh, the resolutions with the recommendations from the committee, uh, we will review the, the resolutions with the committee as well as ACB leadership. Um, we'll provide a preliminary ranking of basically a one, two, or three, one being the, the most important and achievable in the next year, and two and three or more, like this is an important issue, but maybe not as important right now, or three, it's an important issue, but not necessarily for the staff. You know, it could be referred to a committee, an affiliate, um, or the board could be in the best position to handle that. Uh, that resolution. So really, it's just, it's a, a staff interpretation of the resolutions. So then we'll provide that to ACB leadership and the board, along with our, you know, our thoughts for that preliminary ranking. And then the board will review. They'll tell us, you know, yes, we agree with you. No, you're totally wrong or somewhere in between. And if, if rankings need to be changed, that will occur. And then the board will by majority vote, vote on the resolutions. And that will occur at the August 27th board meeting. And, and a note on those rankings, this, this ranking system is, is nothing new for this convention. It happens every year. Um, it, it's just the order of the ranking um, when it takes place is a little different this year. I was on the board for many years and Oh, Clark, some, before we stopped having post-convention board meetings, we'd go to that post-convention board meeting and um, sometimes they would rank those resolutions right then and there. Now, after a week of conventions, that was a deadly meeting, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it would take a couple of hours and, oh, my goodness, that was a slow process but it really didn't i think do justice to the ranking either because we were all so tired from the convention so then um it came to pass that it was referred to the staff to do the rankings and uh the board then um you know they they kind of submitted that to the board let us know what was happening it worked much better and was done with much more thought so um, this is, is sort of the same process that it followed before. The only difference is the membership uh, or the board will not have acted on the resolution before the ranking happens. Uh, but that's just the way that it has to be this year simply because of meeting schedules and the virtual environment, et cetera. But I'm sure that, that, uh, that, that the, the outcome of that ranking will be pretty much the same as it would be before. So um, that also is a little different, uh, but I don't, I don't think it will affect a whole lot uh, because the board will be able to look at those. And if there's something that isn't going to pass and it's already been ranked, that'll work itself out. Have there been resolutions at this point uh, that have been submitted or will, do you expect most of those will come once the convention begins on July 3? You know, there have been at least a couple that have already come in. Um, I received 
uh, at least one note from a state affiliate president uh, telling me that she, you know, they already submitted their resolution to the committee and asked whether they need to submit it through the advocacy at acb.org. Um, but, you know, following the process, and I said, you know, thanks, thanks for the notice, but no, absolutely not. Um, we just provided acb.org as a a single point of contact, but if folks are more comfortable um, emailing Gabe and Jill directly and their email addresses were included in that resolutions note, by all means, um, go straight to the resolutions committee. Um, I think as now we have an outlined process, um, I think folks will start to bring forward their their resolutions. So I, I mm-hmm. expect them to be incoming over the next couple of weeks. We appreciate the update on resolutions, and I know that you're very, very busy at this time getting ready for the convention and doing all the things that you normally do uh, as well. So I'm sure you are just rush, rush, rush. Uh, and uh, we we certainly are looking forward to all of the, the the business and the resolutions and so on at this year's convention. Clark, we really appreciate all the work you and Claire do for advocacy for the ACB and for the membership as well. So thanks so much for being on Soundprints with us. Thank you so much, Carla, and I'll pass along your kind words to Claire. Uh, And I'd say we're just as busy as everyone else at ACB. So thank you for taking (laughs) the time to do this podcast and to also keep the mini mall up and running. Page three. Many people this time of year start asking about the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Reunion And we are going to bring you a lot of information now about the alumni, the projects that it has underway, and the reunion itself. With me is Adam Rushevel, president of the KSB Alumni, and we're going to begin by telling you about the reunion for 2020. Adam, welcome to Soundprints. Well, thank you, Carla, and I always enjoy being on Soundprints. although I've only been on a, a very few times over the years. Yes, you're working with Soundprints, though, every week because you do the editing for the show. So we really appreciate that. Without that editing, we could not have our show available every week. And uh, it's been going on since 2002, so you've edited a lot of words over the years. Adam, let's talk about the 2020 reunion. We were planning a reunion Uh, Tell us about what we were planning and then what has happened due to the coronavirus that came along in March. Carla, I've been president of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association a few times and really feel honored that I was president in the year that the 75th anniversary of the organization uh, was going to be held. An anniversary kind of indicates years, but really what we've been talking about is the actual 75th instance of the reunion occurring. The first one was back in 1946 in August of that year and was created uh, along with former students with Paul J. Langan, who was the superintendent of the school uh, during his first year there. And 
We were really looking forward to this 75th reunion. Our alumni board, we have 10 of us on the board, and we're working hard and planning and so on, and uh, the COVID-19 virus came along and just really shut down everything, which meant we could not get hotel uh, space guaranteed. We could not get catering service uh, if we needed it. And just room to have our socializing and business type meetings that we always have. We always have a lot of fun and the board finally decided that because of that we would postpone our 75th, the alumni meeting, uh, until 2021. And so that's where we stand right now. So there won't be a 2020 reunion this year in person. Uh, rather, we will be celebrating the 75th anniversary of the alumni next year. And Adam, the board had already picked the theme for that alumni and everything. It was going to be music, and we were going to have such a great time celebrating all weekend. So first of all, we want people to begin planning to be with us next year. We are going to have, however, one activity that we did not want to postpone to next year. It's an activity that we can hold on the Zoom platform by telephone. Uh, we can do it virtually, and that is our memorial service. So let's talk a little bit about that and how people can participate. Our memorial service is always very important during our alumni reunion weekend. Uh, we jokingly say that when people who have been former students or former staff members, people who are in the families, immediate members of those families, uh, when, when they die, and we like to take note of that, that um, sometimes we have to talk about them and sort of give approval to send them on their way to make sure they get to the pearly gates in, in fine shape with our recommendation. And some of our memorial services are, you know, they're not so much uh, a sad thing. They're, they're kind of upbeat and really to recognize the accomplishments of all the people that have had some connection with the Kentucky School for the Blind. This year we are going to have a Zoom conference memorial service on Saturday, July 25th, and we will, of course, get that number out and let people know exactly when it's going to be. And during that service, we will try to make it as uh, personal as we usually do in live meetings. But Carla, this year, it was really unusual. We have a very large number of people who have died during the past year and really it's not connected with the COVID-19 virus. It just happened uh, to be an unusual year for that. As a result, we didn't think we could postpone that until 2021 and so we are going to try to recognize those people this year. So the 2020 Memorial Service for the Alumni will be held on July 25. That's the Saturday that would have been the reunion had we been able to be together in person. 
It will be from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and it will be on the Zoom platform. No matter where you live, you can participate in the memorial service from your cell phone, your computer, and even your landline phone. It will also be live-streamed on the RadioStorm.com, which is the internet radio station operated by KSB graduates Mike and Angie McCarty. Zoom and broadcast details will be posted in the ACB Facebook group a few days before the call. Adam, I have a list here of the uh, people that we currently have listed for the memorial service, and I'm going to include it because if people know of additional persons who should be added, uh, this will give them a chance to get in contact with us and let us know of names that need to be on this list. That'll be good. I think we need to include that, if you will. So go ahead. Okay. Now remember that this list includes former KSB students, KSB staff, and spouses, parents, siblings, or children of students or staff who have passed away since July 27, 2019, or individuals in those groups who have not been previously included in the memorial service. Former KSB students are Alice Napier Adams, Joan Britt Ballot, Brian Bates, Adam Begley, Beverly DeMall Bernard, Bert Boyer, Daryl Buford, Harold Burton, Joyce Chesser, Robbie Devins, Tim Martin, David Merle, Billie Jean Ritchie, George Stokes, Litha Ann Underwood, Danny Lee Vaughn, and Laura Lee Wright. Former staff include Jeannie Brasher, who was the kindergarten and primary teacher, Francis Alexander, Miss Alex from the dorm, Ann Pulliam, head of food service for many years, and Carolyn Richardson, former home ec and daily living skills instructor. Family include Clint Applegate's wife, Norman Ballot, Eugene Edge, Laura Myers' mother, Lloyd Noel, Philip Stevens, Debbie Strader. Adam, the alumni, has a program whereby an individual can honor a special school friend or staff member by placing their name on our alumni plaque. Tell us about that project a little bit. We have plaques with people's names on them, Carla, that uh, people can donate $100 and have the name placed on those plaques. And uh, we have about 70 or more people on them now. And uh, for $100, again, you can recognize just a good friend or uh, somebody on the staff that you really liked or think should get recognized and we don't mind if it goes back pretty far in history you know if you uh, knew someone and were in school 25 years ago or 60 years ago you can recognize those people and we really think it's a nice way uh, to give credit or just let people know for the future that These people were important to somebody over the years. Yes, and the individuals who are 
so honored will be recognized at the 2021 banquet and or at the 2020 memorial service as appropriate. We will have a form included with our letter that will be going out to alumni members in a few days that will include an opportunity to place a name on the plaque. If you do not wish to place a name on the plaque, but you would like to memorialize someone, you can make a donation of any amount and uh, make that in honor of someone or in memory of someone, and uh, that will also be recognized at the banquet next year. Adam, another project that the alumni has is the Senior Project. For many years, the alumni helped purchase class rings for KSB juniors and seniors, but unfortunately, this project did not, for a variety of reasons, benefit every student graduating from KSB. A couple of years ago, we learned of a project at the Overbrook School for the Blind where the alumni presents a gift to every senior who walks across that stage uh, and it's part of the senior graduation ceremonies. Our board adopted this project and all eight seniors in 2019 received a backpack that was filled with a variety of useful items. We did the same thing for the nine seniors in 2020 even though they weren't able to have an in-person graduation, their backpacks were sent to them uh, along with other gifts. And the total value of each student's backpack and gifts is approximately $150. The project has been really well received by students and staff, and the board plans to do this again next year. Um, tell us about your impressions of this project and the feedback that we've had on the on the project from different individuals. I think the backpack project has really been good for our alumni because in the past when we've donated money to help the seniors buy their senior rings, not every student uh, was equally served and maybe some of them who didn't get rings, uh, you know, didn't get anything at all. And so this way, every senior gets something from the alumni and it has our brand on it, lets them know that we're around and hopefully that'll attract them to come back uh, to our reunions uh, sooner than they normally do. Sometimes it takes five or ten years to attract some of them, Carla. So, you know, we like to think that this might help. The backpack does have the alumni logo on the front, and it is a large backpack that will accommodate a computer and many other things. Items that are included in the backpack in the past couple of years have been a really neat little four-port you know, USB charger that has alum the alumni on it. The charger is red with the logo. We've had an, an alumni credit card case, which can hold uh, not only credit cards, but health cards, ID cards, etc. And we've added a $25 gift card in that case, because what good is a credit card case if you don't have a card in it? We've also had a large 30-ounce stainless steel tumbler that is red with the uh, Kentucky School for the Blind alumni logo engraved on the tumbler. It's a very, very nice item. 
And the 2019 backpack included a 32-gigabyte flash drive with that year's Alumni Treasures information recorded on it. Well, Carla, this year we would normally have had another Alumni Treasures cartridge or drive, but we were not able to. Our theme was going to be music this year, and we would have liked to have had a lot of uh, people from the alumni represented on that cartridge with their music, but we will postpone that until next year as well. And we would like for people to think about uh, musicians that they know from the school and uh, we can really make a good thing out of that this year. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. That music theme is going to be absolutely terrific. We're already beginning work on that, and uh, so look for a lot of announcements there. Another project that the alumni has has had for many years is the what's called the PIN project. Uh, it's alumni class recognitions, and uh, people who have graduated 25, 50, 60, 70, and 75 years ago receive recognition <clears throat> receive a special pin from the alumni as recognition of those anniversary years. We also recognize the 10-year class with a special gift. So this year, the classes of 2010, 1995, 1970, 1960, 1950, and 1945 and the other classes would have been eligible to receive alumni pins if they attended the banquet in person or if they submitted a request in writing in advance. Uh, the 2010, the 10-year graduates, must be at the banquet to receive their gift, but the other classes uh, can request their pin uh, if they contact us in advance. So, Adam, that pin project has been around for a long time, and it's been very popular and a great way to get people to return to the alumni sometimes to share those anniversary years with us. It has been around for a long time. And the pins, of course, can be worn very easily. I think everyone really liked that part of the program. And when we mentioned the memorial plaques, that, that's kind of a fundraiser uh, that we have. And... Uh, our alumni funds go toward uh, obtaining the pins and other things that we do during our reunion weekends. And, and we have other uh, fundraising methods as well. Yes, the pins and the uh, tenure recognitions uh, will, for 2020 as well as for 2021 will be done at the 2021 banquet. So the 2020 classes are not going to be left out. They just will receive their recognitions next year along with the 2021 class. If you need more information about how you could be eligible to receive a PIN, even if you did not graduate from KSB, if you graduated from your public school, uh, contact us at 502-897-1472. You can also connect to the alumni by Going to the Alumni Facebook page, just search for Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni 
on Facebook and you'll find our group. We certainly welcome you and hope that you'll join our group and stay in touch. That's a good point, Carla, because we do recognize people from their classes. In other words, let's say somebody went to the Kentucky School for the Blind their first 10 years and then they went to public school to finish out their junior and senior year in high school. Uh, we still recognize the fact that if they were in the class of 1998 and graduated that year from public school along with the students from the 1998 KSB class, then we still will recognize them with a pin. That's correct, but they do need to contact us ahead of time because there are a couple of requirements. Um, that's That just isn't automatic in the case of people who are graduating from their public schools because we may not have all of that information um, readily available to us. Now, Adam, you mentioned that the memorial plaques and uh, other things are fundraisers to help pay for these projects that the alumni has. And, and, um, and there are there's a couple of ways that people can help the alumni. One is the plaque project, but the other is our sponsorship project. Usually that is part of an alumni reunion. We're not having a reunion this year, but we still have the projects that need to go on. We still need to buy things for the backpacks for the seniors. In fact, we hear that there's going to be about 11 seniors this next year. So that's going to be a kind of an expensive project. We need to buy a lot of pens this year because a couple of the classes especially the 1995 class, was quite large. So this is going to be a year that has a lot of expenses involved. And finally, our other area that we do also spend money is the Alumni Treasures and History Project. And and that project has some good news about it too. But let's talk about our sponsorships, and then we'll tell people about our exciting history project. Adam, would you like to review those with us a little bit? Well, each year we have a theme usually connected with the reunion, and we try to make our sponsorships match up with whatever that theme is. For instance, if we had a sports theme, we would have sponsorships such as athletes, coaches, etc. This year, however, since we have the COVID-19 virus, and since we're going to be doing our memorial service, Virtually, we thought we'd have uh, our sponsorships kind of in that direction. And so our four categories are the kilobyte sponsors, the megabyte sponsors, the gigabyte sponsors, and the terabyte sponsors. And so that would be your $10, $25, $50, and $100 sponsorships. We would be very pleased if everyone can help us out. And we have these projects, Carla, like the backpacks or our pins, or sometimes we make contributions to the school itself. So all the help that our members and and associate members and other people do for us really helps out. Yes, it does. And one of those sponsors that goes on year-round is our Alumni Treasures and History Project. Um, Since 2014, we've been issuing an annual alumni treasures collection 
Uh, it spotlights a chapter in KSB or alumni history. The first year we had the 1969 spring recital that Deanna Scoggins had found on a tape, and we were able to digitize that. Um, another year we did the the uh, Study Hall Blues, which on its 30th anniversary, that was an album that had been produced by students and staff and alumni at the Kentucky School for the Blind in the mid-80s. So there's always been a new tre- there's always been a new alumni treasure collection each year since 2014 but the history project is going to be moving forward this year even though we won't have a treasure CD so Adam let's chat a little bit about that because this is brand new for a lot of people and um, it really is a significant step forward in our history project I always have a interest in history, Carla, about things, especially the School for the Blind and our Alumni Association. And through the help of the Kentucky School for the Blind Charitable Foundation and the American Free House for the Blind, we have been able to get grant money in order to have someone come in and inventory a lot of materials that the alumni has collected over the years to study our history and, and make it possible for us to store the information where it can be accessible to everybody. And so that project has begun uh, with a person working to do the inventory. A person has been hired to do the inventory of the materials and begin that project and are working with Michael Hudson who is the curator at the American Printing House for the Blind of their museum and we think that this is really going to go far to make information about blindness across the state especially uh, available to anyone who is interested in it. Yeah, it's really exciting to have this intern, and just to make it clear, that intern is provided through the APH Museum. They are not an employee of the alumni. But the Kentucky School for the Blind Charitable Foundation has made it possible for this intern to be spending several weeks cataloging and organizing, bringing order to the chaos of the alumni history collection. And you are right, Adam, this is going to be a great step forward toward people being able to enjoy the many items that we currently have in our history collection and to make it possible for future items being added to that history collection to be done in such a way that it it all is very organized and very accessible to individuals. There are a lot of things going on with the alumni. Even though we're not able to have our reunion, we are certainly sad that we're not going to be able to get together but we are very much looking forward to the 2021 reunion and we are hoping that all of you will be able to be with us if you would like more information on the alumni you can give us a phone call at 502-897-1472 we will be mailing out a letter and a form which will give you an opportunity to participate in the plaque project to make a donation in memory of someone or to honor someone special and to become a sponsor of the 2020 alumni 
projects that we do have underway. If you do not receive that information, if you're not on our mailing list for whatever reason and you would like to receive it, please give us a phone call and we will be happy to send you information as well. I'd like to just also let you know who the officers and directors are on the alumni board for your information and so you know that this board, which was elected in 2019, will be continuing until we can hold a business meeting in 2021. Adam Rushevel is the president of the alumni. Uh, the first vice president is Debbie Dethridge. Second vice president is Shirley Kane. Third vice president is Jonathan McCarty. The secretary is Deanna Scoggins. The treasurer is Carla Rushevel. And the directors are Farmer Brock, Joey Couch, Kenny Jones, and Eric Stam. Again, please let us hear from you if you're interested in the alumni. If you are a KSB alumni and you've lost track of us for a number of years, get in contact with us and reconnect. Uh, if you have music, looking forward, that relates to the alumni, that's been produced by some member of the KSB alumni, uh, or in some way relates to the Kentucky School for the Blind, please contact us about that as well. Thank you, Adam, for being with us on Sound Prince today, and we are looking forward to some wonderful alumni projects in this year. Thank you, Carla. I think that the Sound Prince is certainly one means of getting the word out about all of this, and if you who might hear this, are able to pass the information on to other organizations or people, we'd appreciate that. And I always, uh, as I said at the beginning, I always appreciate being on Soundprints. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.